You ever heard of a timber doodle? It sounds like a cross between a timber wolf and a poodle, but I assure you it's not. How about a Labrador twister? That one sounds like a wrestling move. Let me tell you something, Mean Gene. I gave him the old Labrador twister. Oh, yeah! A bog sucker? A hokum poke? Brush snipe? Night partridge? Mud snipe? Big eye? Mud bat? Little russet feller? Swamp bat? Fiddle squeak? None of the above? Well, these are all nicknames for a bird that you also may not have heard of, but one that's pretty interesting. And once you've seen it do its signature walk, well, you probably won't forget about it anytime soon. I'm talking about the American woodcock. And yes, that is its real name. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, and this is the Dispatches from the Forest podcast. If you're a hunter, you probably know or at least have heard of the American woodcock. It's a popular game bird, and over 540,000 are killed annually by hunters in the United States. But why the American woodcock is a magnet for nicknames is kind of a mystery, although not everyone is a fan of some of these nicknames. Artist and author George Bird Evans once wrote, I don't know who thought up such an asinine name as Timberdoodle for so lovely a game bird, but I suspect it wasn't a shooting man. Now, technically speaking, the American woodcock is classified as a shorebird, but while most other shorebirds are found, well, you guessed it, wading along shorelines and mudflats, American woodcocks live primarily in upland habitats. They're found almost exclusively, but not quite, east of the Mississippi River. Their breeding range extends into southern Canada, and they winter as far south as the Gulf Coast. Habitats preferred by American woodcocks are brushy, moist young forests and swamps, In fact, swamps are probably the reason for any nickname that starts with swamp or mud. Early successional abandoned farmland mixed with woods are ideal. Woodcocks frequently roost on the ground at night in large open areas among sparse patchy vegetation, especially in the late summer. Now, woodcocks are not showy birds. They're not going to catch your eye with bright, colorful plumage. Color-wise, they're a mix of browns, grays, and blacks, which makes them excellently camouflaged in their preferred habitat. They have a plump body, short legs, a large rounded head, and a long, straight, two-and-a-half to three-inch long bill. Woodcocks have large eyes that are located high on their head, and their visual field may be the largest of any bird. Get this, they can see 180 degrees vertically, and a full 360 degrees horizontally. Talk about having eyes in the back of your head. But excellent camouflage and a large field of vision are pretty useful traits for avoiding predators when you spend most of your life on the ground. What first brought woodcocks to my attention recently and made them this episode's topic was a picture of one I saw on social media and a comment about their migration. Woodcocks in the northernmost part of their range start moving southward before ice and snow seal off their ground-based food supply. Most migratory birds are triggered by the number of hours of daylight, but woodcock migration is highly irregular. In some parts of the Midwest, the earliest birds arrive to the breeding grounds in February, but the majority won't arrive until March or April. Likewise, some may leave to head south by September, and some will stick around until the middle of November. Woodcock migration seems to be more weather-dependent than some of their feathered friends. 
Cold fronts can prompt heavy southerly flights in the autumn. And that said, most woodcocks start migrating in October with a major push from mid-October to early November. The majority arrive on the wintering range by mid-December at the latest, but woodcocks don't spend very long on their wintering ground. They'll be heading north again in February, with most of them arriving back on the breeding grounds between mid-March and mid-April. Now, woodcocks are generally crepuscular, most active at dusk and dawn, but they migrate at night. They fly at low altitudes, individually or sometimes in small, casual flocks. It's thought that woodcocks navigate visually using major geographic features, like coastlines and broad river valleys, but they don't seem to be in any particular hurry to get to their destination. Both the autumn and spring migrations are leisurely compared to the swift, direct migrations of many other migratory birds. Migrating woodcocks average somewhere between 16 and 28 miles an hour, which is 26 to 45 kilometers per hour for my non-American listeners. But they're the record holder for the slowest flight speed ever recorded for a migratory bird, a mere five miles an hour. Woodcocks dine mostly on invertebrates, particularly earthworms, but they'll also eat insect larvae, snails, centipedes, millipedes, spiders, beetles, and ants. They only eat a small amount of vegetable matter, usually seeds. The woodcock uses its long prehensile bill to probe in soft soil for food, usually in thickets where they can stay well hidden from predators. A unique bone and muscle arrangement lets the bird open and close the tip of its upper bill while it's sunk in the ground. Both the underside of the upper bill and the woodcock's long tongue are rough surfaced to help grasp slippery prey. And I can certainly understand why a woodcock, with its bill stuck into soft, muddy ground like a straw, could earn the nickname bog sucker. But one of the most interesting behaviors displayed by American woodcocks is a rhythmic rocking walk, where they walk slowly while rocking their bodies back and forth. If you want to go down a YouTube hole, search for American Woodcock Dance. You'll be rewarded with videos of rocking woodcocks set to a variety of songs. Believe me, it's worth your time to check out. But the big question, of course, is why do they do this strange walk? And, of course, the answer is nobody really knows for sure, but there's a couple of theories. The most common theory, since it happens when the birds are foraging, is that it's a way of coaxing invertebrates, like the woodcock's favorite earthworms, closer to the surface, or a way of helping the woodcock locate them. This hypothesis says that the bird, by walking this way, exerts pressure on the ground that makes the worms and insects move, which enables the woodcock to locate them. But, while this is the most commonly cited explanation, it may not be the correct one. Dr. Bernd Heinrich, professor emeritus in biology at the University of Vermont, conducted extensive field observations of American woodcocks. One thing Dr. Heinrich noted was that while this rocking does occur while foraging, the birds do it on snow or pavement, where they would not be able to detect invertebrates. He also pointed out that the birds place their feet gently on the ground when rocking, so they wouldn't, in fact, be creating vibrations that would attract earthworms, which are drawn to much more intense vibrations. For example, there are people that use the vibrations from chainsaws to attract earthworms. But the most compelling argument that the worm detection hypothesis is wrong is that Dr. Heinrich observed that woodcocks only do this rocking walk under certain conditions, specifically when they know, or at least have a reasonable suspicion, that they're being watched. 
When Dr. Heinrich hid and watched the birds through binoculars, they didn't rock. When he followed the birds, they rocked only when they were walking away from him. And when he stopped, the birds stopped too. When he started walking again, the birds started rock walking away again. Also, they don't rock when they're in the woods, where they're more camouflaged, but they do it in open habitat where it's more likely that a predator can see them. So again, the question becomes why? Well, Dr. Heinrich suggests that it's a form of what's called aposematism, an animal advertising to potential predators that it's not worth attacking. For some animals, this takes the form of bright colors that signal that it's toxic or bad-tasting. Think monarch butterflies or poison dart frogs. But in the woodcock's case, it's a way for the bird to tell a potential predator, I know you're there, so don't bother trying to catch me because I'll just fly away. Theoretically, this saves the woodcock from expending the energy it would take to fly away and also leaving an area with abundant food. But woodcocks can do more than just rock out when they're walking. Their courtship displays are also pretty interesting and often referred to as a sky dance. In the spring, males establish individual singing grounds, or leks, an opening near brushy cover from which they'll call and perform their display flights. Usually these displays happen at dusk and dawn, but if the moon is bright enough, they'll display at night too. After a series of ground calls, which is described as a buzzy peent, The male takes off and flies 150 to 300 feet into the air. He then descends, zigzagging and banking while singing. The air rushing over the male's outer primary wing feathers also produces a musical twittering sound during this flight. This sky dance display is probably where the nicknames Labrador Twister and Fiddle Squeak came from. Female woodcocks, called hens, are attracted by the male's displays, and who can blame them? It sounds amazing. A hen will fly in and land on the ground near a singing male. The male courts her by walking stiff-legged with his wings stretched vertically while bobbing and bowing. Now, males are polygamous, mating with several females, and they play no role in selecting a nest site, incubating eggs, or rearing young. In the primary northern breeding range, American woodcocks may be the earliest ground-nesting birds to breed. Males sometimes continue these courtship flights for as long as four months, sometimes continuing to display even after the hens have already hatched their broods and left the nest. Hey, I guess practice makes perfect. It's never too early to start training for next year. After mating, the hen makes a shallow, rudimentary nest on the ground in the leaf and twig litter, in brushy cover usually within a few hundred feet of the singing ground of the male. Most hens will lay four eggs, which are incubated for about three weeks. The down-covered young are precocial and leave the nest within just a few hours of hatching. The female broods her young and feeds them for the first few weeks. Woodcock fledglings begin probing for worms on their own within a few days after hatching. They develop quickly and can make short flights after only two weeks, and can fly fairly well at three weeks, and at five weeks they're independent. When threatened, fledglings take cover and remain motionless, attempting to escape detection by relying on their cryptic coloration to keep them hidden. 
Interestingly, there's a lot of anecdotal stories of mother woodcocks carrying their young to safety, either by holding them with their feet, between their thighs, or by the young clinging to the mother, but no photo evidence has ever been caught of this. American woodcocks can live up to eight years in the wild. It's not really known how many woodcocks were around when the first European settlers came to North America, but unlike many animals that were adversely impacted by European settlement, colonial agriculture, with its patchwork of farms and open-range livestock grazing, probably supported healthy woodcock populations. Their population remained high during the early to mid-1900s when many people moved to urban areas and family farms were abandoned, leaving old fields and pastures to grow into brush. With a current estimated population of around 5 million, American woodcocks are the most common sandpiper species in North America. But since the 1960s, as those formerly brushy acres have either matured into middle-aged and older forests where woodcocks rarely venture, or have been developed into housing additions, strip malls, and other urban development, it's estimated that the American woodcock population has been declining by a little over 1% per year. Now, American woodcocks are actually more tolerant of deforestation than other species of woodcocks and snipes. As long as there's some sheltered woodland left for breeding sites, they can thrive even in areas that are primarily used for agriculture. And while the American woodcock is not considered globally threatened by the IUCN, it is considered a species of greatest conservation need in many U.S. states, which has triggered research and habitat creation efforts to help boost woodcock populations. And probably to nobody's surprise, creating the type of young forest habitat favored by American woodcocks helps more than 50 other species of wildlife that use early successional habitat during at least part if not all of their life cycles. This includes relatively common animals like white-tailed deer, snowshoe hares, moose, bobcat, wild turkeys, and ruffed grouse. It also includes other animals whose populations have declined in recent decades, like the golden-winged warbler, whippoorwill, willow flycatcher, indigo bunting, and New England cottontail. So it's a win for a whole bunch of animals, and somewhere in that fact there's another nickname waiting. And that's where we'll end this episode. Thank you, as always, for listening. Remember to like and subscribe if you haven't already. Leave a comment, too, if you feel moved. It's always nice to hear some positive feedback. It's free, and it gives me the warm fuzzies. Some other ways you can support the podcast, tell someone else to listen, and then you can discuss amongst yourself at the next meeting of your book club or knitting club or military spouses club or bicycle club or the PTA. I'm just spitballing here. Check out our Patreon page and become a patron. Subscriptions start at just $5 a month, and after three months, you get some free merchandise. You can find all the information on the various subscription levels at patreon.com forward slash dispatches from the forest. If you'd rather make a one-time donation, you can do it through PayPal. Dispatchesfromtheforest at gmail.com is my PayPal address and a great way to contact me with any questions, comments, or suggestions for future episodes. Is there something you want to know about? Let me know. I'll see what I can do. Check out our merch store at cafepress.com forward slash dispatches from the forest and get some dispatches from the forest merchandise. There are more items than a woodcock has nicknames. I'm sure you'll find something that you like. For additional content, check out Dispatches from the Forest on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. I'm your host, Tim the Nature Nerd O'Hara, reminding you to go outside and get dirty.
The Dispatches from the Forest podcast is a production of Dispatches from the Forest and may not be used or rebroadcast whole or in part without express written permission.